0: Hey everybody, my name is Pastor Brian Flammy of Emmanuel Lutheran Church in Roswell, New Mexico. And you're listening to Voice of the Pecos, a monthly theology digest from your local Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod congregations in Southeastern New Mexico. We're in towns like Roswell, Carlsbad, Riodoso, Hobbs, Portales, Clovis, and Lovington. Joining me today is our regular uh, contributor I don't think you qualify as a guest. You're you're one of the hosts, right? I it's something like that, yeah. Yeah. So, Pastor Kyle Brown of Grace Lutheran Church in Hobbs and Our Savior Lutheran Church in Lovington, uh, how are you doing today? All things considered, well, I'm doing pretty well, I'd have to say. All things considered, like COVID,
1: yes. uh,
0: revolutionary Marxism coming back into vogue, yeah, and things like, that. yeah. Hey, so I was thinking about this um, before we started talking today. And through this week, we have the November elections coming up. We do. We still have some months now. You know, It's going to be in November 3rd, two, uh, uh, 2020. And uh, not only are we going to be voting for our president, uh, we're also going to be voting for local uh, government officials, uh, that are probably closer to the, well, they, they are going to be closer to home, but they probably also have a lot more impact on our day-to-day lives than the federal government does away in Washington.
1: That's right, Brian. Uh, and I think that that's something that needs to be remembered is that it is the presidential election, but these local elections really impact us probably more even than the presidential elections in our day-to-day lives. Yeah,
0: that's right. So case in point, uh, what determines our level of freedom right now isn't what Donald Trump says in Washington. It's what Luhan Grisham says in Santa Fe.
1: That's right. It has
0: everything to do with whether or not we're going to be required to wear masks, uh, how many people are allowed to be in a, a group, and so on.
1: That's exactly right. And I don't know how it is for you, but uh, these are issues, of course, that that for us in Lee County, uh, a lot of our local elected magistrates don't don 't even agree with luhan Grisham, Grisham on a lot of these things, so who who you put into office at every level
0: does play an impact in your daily lives right, and so the question is like as pastors, do we have the right uh, to tell our congregations, "Hey, vote in this way So we know that there are these Baptist and <laughs> i say Baptist. i sorry to all my Baptist friends there are these American Protestant churches out there that literally hand out voting lists. Right. And, and uh, to be fair, uh, you know, I, I like to say that I'm a, 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 I try to vote pro-life and I know that right for life it, that has chapters in different counties and States, they also hand out various voting lists, you know, mm-hmm. it would be appropriate for a Lutheran pastor to hand out a list to, uh, of candidates to say hey if you're going to be a good lutheran today on on election day you need to vote for these people is that appropriate or is that maybe a step too far
1: well there's there there are two sides to this right and, and the first side um the first side is probably what you're going to hear more often and it is well separation of church and state we shouldn't be doing that right shouldn't be doing that at all and that's probably i'm going to guess the first thing that jumps into people's mind and that's not necessarily mm-hmm. Uh, wrong, but it's also not necessarily right either. Um, now we as Lutherans, we have a little bit more interesting uh, a take on that because as soon uh, Brian, as soon as you or I hand out a a list of you know people that you should vote for, people that if you want to you know if you want to be a Christian, if you want to be a real Lutheran, this is who you're going to vote for. Well, what have we just done to the people? We've we've placed a a law on them and and burdened their conscience with that, right?
0: Yeah, that that is right. I mean, it feels like that we've overstepped our bounds as pastors, as ministers of the gospel, when we should uh, leave those sorts of civic uh, decisions as to who to elect, who to not elect into office or to vote against, right? Oftentimes, it seems like these elections are about voting against people. Mm -hmm. We leave that to the freedom of the Christian. Right. So, but so, it's absolute freedom, and I think that you, you understand this too. It's it's not like we tell the Christian, well, you know, now that you're dealing with a worldly affair, you can vote however you please or whatever wherever your whims might take you. Mm-hmm. Because even our our lives outside of the church continue to be governed by God's law. Right. That's exactly right, and and this is where that view
1: of while church and state are separate isn't quite accurate either because the church actually does have things to say on what the state is doing so the question for you then brian is well what should we pastors be doing and teaching about all of this then
0: what's our place i found uh, because i'm not smart enough for all this i had to go looking on the internet to see what other smart pastors have said that's
1: where all and, smart uh, things are found
0: yeah right <laughs> so i stumbled across this, uh, what, what is it called? The Curb of the Law, A Voter's Guide to the Ten Commandments. And this was uh, published by Brian Wolfmuller, who some of you might know, back in uh, 2016 in preparation for the last round of elections. And uh, what Wolfmuller, Pastor Wolfmuller of St. Paul Lutheran Church in Austin, Texas, wants to draw out for us is that the Ten Commandments, is the definition of of the law, and that law which pertains to all human beings everywhere. And so when when, uh, Christians think of an ordered society, what is necessary in an ordered society, immediately, according to our catechesis and according to the instruction of God's word, that society to be good and edifying and loving, because love is the fulfillment of the law, right? It has to be in accord with the Ten Commandments. Now, uh, a person could probably jump in ahead of, me, ahead of me now and say, "Well, wait a second, Pastor. The Ten Commandments are is something that belongs to the Scriptures alone, and it really belongs to the Christian religion. You can't impose it on other people. It's just a list of rules that's for us and not for other people." Well, no, I don't think so. I think it's true that when it comes to the first table of the law, uh, the only people who even keep that outwardly right in in uh, the, their conduct that can be seen by other people uh, are Christians. You know, they're the only ones who can keep the the first three commandments outwardly. But uh, the the commandments four through ten uh, are are more than just a list of rules. They also protect special gifts from God that He intends all people to enjoy. So, if you're a human being living on living on this planet, believe it or not, you have a mom and a dad. You may not like them. You may not uh, want to be around them, but you have a mom and a dad. And uh, God has commanded that children are to honor their fathers and mothers. And not only does that pertain to moms and dads, that also pertains to other uh, persons in authority uh, who uh, maintain public order, who maintain uh, the laws, right? So that would include governors, presidents, legislatures, judges they also have uh, a vocation of love that comes from the fourth commandment. The fifth commandment is really basic, you know. Uh, it protects the gift of life. You shall not murder. Uh, show me a civilization that ever thought they could do without the fifth commandment, and I'll show you uh, someone who's making something up, right? <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I, you, uh, society just is impossible when uh, wanton murder is allowed, right? I mean, do you know of any civilizations off the top of your head that might've allowed uh, murder at will? No, not off
1: the top of my head. This is sounding a lot like uh, Paul's beginning to the letter of Romans, right? That
0: you can see that the, the law of God is in people, right? Right, so, so even the, uh, the Eskimos who lived in the far North and before they ever heard the preaching of the gospel from a missionary, they still had a sense of the fifth commandment. Maybe not a perfect keeping of the commandment, But they would still uh, honor and protect human life. It wasn't without value, and uh, it wasn't. And and love was shown between neighbors. That is the keeping of the fifth commandment. The sixth commandment protects God's gift of marriage. The seventh commandment protects God's gift of property to people. Right. Uh, The eighth commandment protects God's gift of a good name to people, and the ninth and the tenth commandments uh, they protect and defend uh, our contentedness, right? That we should be, learn to be uh, content with the gifts of the other commandments as God has given them to us in our, in our circumstances, in our lives, right? That's why uh, coveting is wrong. Now, I don't think you can legislate coveting so much, but you certainly can, and this is sort of a backbone of most uh, uh, cultures that have uh, codified law. There, there are laws that pertain to human life, to property, right? uh to even the use of a person's name so we have laws in our country uh uh that that concern libel you can't just lie about someone publicly and defame them all of that is so all of those belong to the the 10 commandments now people might think that we've arrived at those laws independently of god's word but the holy scriptures teach us something else and you just mentioned the beginning uh of paul's letter to the romans right that's right Yeah, so there, uh, uh, St. Paul talks about how even though the law was uh, revealed to the Israelites through Moses, nevertheless, uh, the law is also written on the human hearts or upon our consciences, right? That's exactly right. Yeah, so this is, Uh, uh, uh,
1: uh. so so what you're saying brian is that we as 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 pastors um, maybe we we do have a voice with regard to politics and it's namely uh, of course it's the voice of of scriptures it's it's the very word of god it's it's that thing that we uh we work in in our daily lives and this it's the thing that we preach and it's namely this that that we as christians ought not to vote for someone who Upholds the lawful breaking of the fifth commandment, right? That is to say, murder of any form should not be allowed. And if there's a if there's a candidate who would support that, then we should not vote for that candidate. Now that sounds yeah. ridiculous, of course, but but we know that uh, abortion is one of those hotly debated topics in today's society. And well, abortion is nothing more but the the murder of the unborn. And that is exactly why it has been such a, a rallying point for, for conservative Christians all
0: over the place. And, uh, yeah, that's right. That's right. The fifth commandment, which has been given us to teach with clarity from the church, uh, concerns the lives of uh, the, the, the babies in the womb and also the elderly. Yeah. After other people might have thought that they've outlived their usefulness or something like that. But this is it. We don't tell the people who to vote for. What we do is we say this is God's law. That's right. And we have it perfectly revealed through the Ten Commandments, and other human beings have it imperfectly written upon their hearts. And so, the the verses that I was looking for, because we want to make sure we're quoting from the Bible on this show as often as possible, is Romans chapter 2, verses 14 through 15. For when Gentiles, that is the people without the Holy Scriptures, do not have the law by nature, do what the law requires. Right. And we were talking about the hypothetical Eskimo. That's right. Who loves one of their neighbors. Right. They are a law to themselves, even though they do not have the law. That is the inscripturated Ten Commandments, the writings of Moses. They show that the work of the law is written on their hearts while their conscience also bears witness. And their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them. So whether or not. Uh, people are actually righteous according to the Ten Commandments. St. Paul says that their hearts are, are, are bear witness to those commandments and that their conscience is either excusing them for their works against the law or accusing them for when they have sinned against that law that has been written upon their hearts, which is an amazing statement. So everywhere we go in the world, right, there's kind of this fellowship of the Ten Commandments, a basic Fellowship of the Ten Commandments, where uh, uh, you do, you won't uh, unless you like find yourself among like pirates. <laughs> <laughs> you I think they try to live without the law, but that they, the pirates never prosper not I, for long. I
1: think that there you could perhaps say that uh, that there that their conscience excuses them, right? That's right. The law that's written on their heart. Them
0: and it is as much fun as they think that they can have with lawlessness eventually they their pirate society i mean you i mean those this contradiction in terms right yeah. there's no such thing as a pirate society right it it collapses in on itself eventually the the crew will mutiny it's just a matter of time right that's right <laughs> yeah okay so we teach the 10 commandments to our people and we're very clear about uh, the gifts of the Ten Commandments, the gift of human life, the gift of marriage, the gift of property, the gift of a name, and those things. And so you what you look for in a, in a candidate is a person who defends and promotes those gifts. Someone who doesn't deny those gifts of property and life and property, or, you know, I said property twice, and a good name and marriage, but someone who's promoting those things and defending them. That's the kind of person you want to vote for. Right. No matter what party they belong to, I would say that this has nothing to do with political party and agenda. This has to do with the basic law of God as revealed in the scriptures and written upon people's hearts. Exactly right. Also, uh, one of the ways in which we can uh, distinguish the Ten Commandments, and this is probably my last thing I want to say about this, uh, is according to the estates that God has instituted three distinct spheres of human life you know like in the garden of eden when he first spoke to adam he instituted the holy christian church when he spoke to adam and adam heard the word of the lord and believed him there there's the church right in a nutshell god speaks man hears and believes the second estate is when god gave to adam his wife eve and he said be fruitful and multiply be fruitful and multiply fill the earth with your kids and the third estate is the government that after the fall into sin it's necessary that adam receives help from his uh uh from his children uh when it comes to defending the gifts uh that god has given us you know in the 10 commandments and adam can't do it alone anymore you know human beings have to delegate their responsibility as fathers uh and, and parents uh to defend one another right and that's why you have uh, sheriffs yeah. <laughs> and police departments. That's right. And things like that. even school boards. Yes. Yeah. yeah so, that, so, so, so you want to also, I think, teach the estates and, uh, and tell your folks, you want to vote for a, a candidate that recognizes the legitimacy of each of those estates and doesn't pit them against each other, but sees them as supporting one another. So if a candidate says there's no place in human society for the church, it's probably not the candidate you want to vote for, especially no. since it's the most basic of human institutions. That's a gift from God, right? Absolutely. And also if a candidate says, well, because of my new Marxist ideology, uh, the nuclear family has to be destroyed, probably not a good idea to to vote for that person. That's a direct attack on the fourth commandment and the estate of the family, right? Certainly. And then finally, uh, if a if person wants to be an anarchist and they say we don't need any sort of authority outside of the self, uh, well, that's just folly. And we can see that the lawlessness of, of our flesh uh, the, and our desire to break God's law necessitates laws and, and uh, punishments for crime, right? Absolutely. Yeah.
1: And this is, this is a good framework for people to understand the world in. Uh, these three estates of church family and government that they all end up overlapping a bit in in each of our own daily lives uh, but they are all distinct sections of the of the world it's a good thing to to reclaim that understanding of the world because it's it's not really taught anymore
0: yeah that's right it, it, uh, even among lutheran pastors it, we're still getting to the point where we can talk about the 10 commandments and uh and the three estates next to each other. Justice Jonas, do you know who that is? This one of these uh, Reformation era Lutherans. Yes, yeah. He said, and this is a kind of a famous quote that uh, the Ten Commandments are a summary of the estates, and the estates are the summary of the Ten Commandments. Well, that's beautiful. Yeah, and they're the same thing, just seen at from two different angles. Uh, because these are the boundaries around God's gifts that he's protecting. You know, the church protects the gospel, and those are the first three commandments, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, the estate of the family, that protects everything that that surrounds the fourth commandment, the fifth, the sixth, the seventh, and even the eighth. And then the government, they have responsibility uh, for protecting families and for making sure that nobody abuses the church so that the church can preach the gospel with freedom. Mm-hmm. So that's I think our primer on Christian voting and uh is and the best thing to do uh, therefore if you're getting ready for election day 2020 November the 3rd did we say I think
1: so yeah
0: November the 3rd the, what you want to do is you want to sit down catechism study your 10 commandments look at the list of candidates look at their positions and then, then ask yourself the serious question which of these command which of these candidates uh uh stands up for God's order and law and love as I've learned it from the catechism and the Holy scriptures. I think that's the basic question.
1: I think that's very well said. And I think that is uh, the exact job of, of the pastor to help parishioners to understand. Uh, and again, not, not telling people who to vote for, not handing out lists, uh, but but helping to teach the law of God and how it affects us in these three estates. Uh, The law of God being, of course, those Ten Commandments.
0: Yeah, we have to be responsible uh, when we go to the polls. You know, this is part of uh, acting according to Christian freedom, is that we shouldn't look to the pastor to tell us how to do everything. Uh, Mm -hmm. He's there to preach the gospel, to comfort your conscience. Uh, For the rest of the the other different aspects of your life, you've got to keep the Ten Commandments, the law. (laughs) You've got to do the works of love. And mm-hmm. so you have to do due diligence and checking out what the who the candidates are, what they're saying. Thanks be to God. We do have the Internet, so you can, like, Wikipedia any of these people. And there's, like, a whole, like, position list, right? And the That's candidates right. are more than willing to, like, fill your ears up with what they're all about. So they've made it easy for us. And,
1: uh, you know, I have to say that we do have, as citizens of this country and as Christians, we have not only the right, but the, the duty to exercise those those rights of voting.
0: Yeah, that's right. Uh, uh, so so take advantage of this coming election day. Uh, talk to your pastor about the Ten Commandments and how that should be your guide in voting. And uh, I think that's enough for this segment. So we'll get right back to our next segment. We're going to be interviewing uh, our summer vicar here at Emmanuel Lutheran Church and School. His name is Marcus Bucinius. And this past year, he has been studying at Concordia Theological Seminary in Fort Wayne, Indiana, and he is on loan from his seminary in Oberut, Germany. So we'll be hearing from him about his experiences both in Germany uh, and where he came from and also how he's found life here in the United States. So stay tuned. hey everybody and welcome back to voice of the pecos for this segment we're going to be talking to our vicar for this summer he has been here uh for this month of july so far and he'll be with us also next month in august at emmanuel lutheran church in roswell he has been completing a portion of his education here in the united states doing some practical training uh his name is marcus businius And I have him here with me in my office today. So Marcus, how are you? I'm doing fine. Good, good. So tell us a little bit about yourself and your background.
2: Yeah, My name is Marcus
0: Busenius, as
2: Pastor already introduced myself. I'm from Germany, 29 years old, studying theology, more likely second career. I did an apprenticeship, and now I'm studying Already four years done in Germany, one year in Fort
0: Wayne. Yeah. Okay, yeah. So, so you're in the middle of your pastoral education. Right. Nice. Now, can you tell us a little bit about uh, what it caused you to seek out uh, um, a study of theology and the possibility of becoming a pastor? Um, yeah, I never thought to study theology, first of all.
2: But then my first opinion that I had in mind didn't work out for me. So I had to look for an alternate route. And I was raised in a Christian household, more likely, mostly. So the the alternate became at some point uh, theology because I had also certain questions. so then I decided to do, uh, to after doing my finishing my Abitur to do instead my first I uh, opinion
0: mm-hmm.
2: uh, my first education that I w- wanted to do I decided to do theology instead. Mm-hmm. So I uh, matric- immatriculated in the. At the seminary in Oberursel, which is the seminary of the Sisters Church of the LCMS, the Zelk. Hmm. Yeah, there
0: I studied three years. Okay. Very good. So you studied three years in Oberursel.
2: Or not? Three yeah. three years in Oberursel. Okay. And before I came to the United
0: States, I studied one year in Leipzig. Oh, okay. And one year in Leipzig. And so how much uh, time do you have left before you're eligible for ordination?
2: Still two and a half years maybe two two years or two and a half. So it d- depends how fast I, I will do this.
0: Yeah so you're the the process of becoming a pastor actually takes longer in Germany than it does in the United States right Yeah because I think that uh, as it has been explained to me before, uh, uh, here in the United States, you have to go through an undergraduate program to get a bachelor's degree. Then, after that, you can apply for the seminary. But in Germany, it's like those two schools are combined into one and it's a much longer program. Right. Yeah. That's right. Okay. So, in all, it takes six years
2: normally to study. Mm-hmm. I did one year in Fort Wayne. And that adds on an extra year. That adds an extra year.
0: Yeah. Okay. Very cool. Now, Uh, What can you tell us about the Lutheran Church in Germany? Now, for our listeners, of course, uh, the Lutherans got their start in Germany, in Wittenberg, where Martin Luther was uh, an Augustinian friar and then also a uh, professor at the university there. And he, uh, through his study of the Holy Scripture, uh, discovered that some of the abuses of the Roman Catholic Church were a question of repentance and God's grace and the authority of the Holy Scriptures. And so, you know, for, for many of us here in the United States, the, uh, our, our Lutheran heritage is kind of bound up even with our German heritage, you know. That is, unless you're from other countries like Norway or Sweden and, and uh, other parts of Scandinavia. For By and large, I, I think that in most Missouri Synod churches, you have people of German descent, you know. So we feel like there's this close connection between Germany and the Lutheran Confession. Now is that still the case today in Germany? Or uh, uh, if I go to Germany and I throw a rock, will I be able to hit many Lutherans with it? I don't think so. I mean,
2: most people consider Germany as the uh, country of the Reformation, the Luther- especially Lutheran Reformation. Mm. But uh, I wouldn't consider Germany as a Lutheran country and. There's not uh, much left of Lutheran heritage. Um, I think you would even meet met more Lutherans here in the United States than in Germany. Wow! So, for example, everyone says Germany or things of uh, the Evangelical Lutheran uh, churches in Germany would be Lutheran, mm-hmm. but I, cons- I can't consider them Lutheran, at least not the state churches, because most of them are either reformed or unified. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
0: Um, Reforms mean that, meaning that they uh, find their identity more in a reformed confession yeah, than a Lutheran right. one. And unified means a kind of synthesis between the two. Yeah, right. Oh, okay. So since
2: the Prussian Union, mm. uh, the uh, churches were forced to uh, become one. Mm. Uh, the, and it was forced by the Prussian king already 200 years
0: ago so yeah, yeah. yeah and I think that was part of that was the catalyst for uh why many uh Germans in fact emigrated to the United States right yeah right mm. and today it's all the
2: evangelical Luther, uh, sta- Lutheran state church are subjected to the ekd which is a uh They consider themselves not as one church body, but if you observe them, Mm -hmm. uh, you will see and recognize that they do act as one church
0: body. Okay. Wow. Now, so, but there are still faithful confessing Lutherans in Germany. Yeah. So for
2: example, my, my church, Mm -hmm. the independent evangelical Lutheran church or the Zelk. And then also, even smaller, the ELF And I would say I would only consider those churches as Lutheran,
0: at at least as confessional Lutheran churches. Yeah. Now, in the Missouri Synod, uh, I think that the thing that makes us Lutheran, uh, by definition, is our unconditional subscription to the Book of Concord. And those other two churches that you mentioned, the Salk and uh, what was the other one? ELF the uh, ALF COP? Yeah. Okay. And uh, they, they would be similar to the Missouri Senate in that way? Yeah. Okay, excellent. So uh, you've been in the United States for a year. Tell us about your experiences. How have they been so far? So far, very great. I enjoyed it a lot. So the
2: one year in Fort Wayne was a really good year for me pers- personally. Helpful for my studies, future studies also in Germany. Mm. In some case, uh, some ways, much better than in Germany, <laughs> uh, much more edifying and strengthening also the in the in faith in the faith because in Germany the education at the seminaries is mostly very liberal and yeah has a lot to do with higher criticism and stuff like that, especially in the state church uh, and at the state university. The last year in uh, Leipzig was just horrible in regard of exegesis.
0: Yeah. You know, it's a, it's something that here in the United States, we might be tempted from time to time to take our seminaries for granted, you know, mm-hmm. but uh, I think that hearing of your experiences and how positive they were in Fort Wayne helps us to appreciate really, uh, the treasure of the faithfulness of the professors and the students there, you know, and uh, how the, the the life of the seminary there is built around worship and the chapel and uh, and also that the, the professors desire uh, not to so much win academic points as to lead the students into thinking theologically so that they can be effective pastors according to, you know, the the, the, the instructions of Christ, according to his institutions of baptism and the Lord's Supper, and the absolution, right? That's a rare thing. And it's also one of the reasons that, and this is what I liked about my time in Fort Wayne, is you, we had students from all over the world who came, and they were taking that, uh, uh, that Christian theology that was built around the Holy Scriptures, and then of course also confessed by the Book of Concord, they were taking that theology back home with them, right? And making it their heritage and uh, their treasure as well. Well, very good. Um, thanks for joining us today, Marcus. Uh, I promised Marcus that this wouldn't be a very long interview. So, <laughs> what are some of your what are some of your hopes and desires to do here in the United States before you have to go home? Uh, I wanted to see a lot of the
2: country. Mm-hmm.
0: Unfortunately, it
2: didn't work out. So, I mean, in the end, it did work out for me because now I had the opportunity to come southwest yeah. to do still my summer here in the United in. Roswell. Mm-hmm. And even, and I
0: enjoy it, especially the weather here. It's so warm. <laughs> I know. We've been having a stretch of 110, 112 degree days. I We've been setting records, in fact, here in, in Roswell. You know, St. Peter says in his second epistle that the world is being stored up for destruction by fire. So anyway, anything that gets us to keep our eyes towards the skies, looking for our Redeemer to come quickly. Now, Uh, Thank you so much, Marcus, for joining us, and uh, thanks be to God for your time here. And uh, so far, it's been a real pleasure and joy having you with us here at Emmanuel Lutheran Church. And uh, we hope that uh, you can go and give a good report of us to your brothers and sisters in, in the church in Germany. Thank you. I appreciate that. All right. Welcome back to Voice of the Pecos, and uh, we were glad that we had Marcus on the show to tell us a little bit about uh, the Lutheran Church there in Germany, but now it's time for us to talk about our theological topic, and I was thinking that today it would be good to talk about sin, uh, what it is, what it isn't, uh, what the world thinks about sin, if it even has the capacity to think about sin anymore, and then also... uh, What the holy scriptures teach definitively about it, and what our Lutheran fathers who came before us tell us to to help us to think rightly about sin. So, Kyle, uh, I suppose this is the question I want to ask first. Uh, When you talk, when you run into somebody on the street, right, and Mm -hmm. let's say you're wearing a collar and it starts a conversation, and they say, Oh, you look like a a priest, because they never assume you're a pastor. Pastors wear (laughs) suits. That's right. And, and so and let's say that pretend that you get into a conversation about sin. Uh, what would you expect to hear from a person who is not a Lutheran, who's maybe a casual Christian, they've been to a church a handful of times in their life, but they don't really hold themselves to one confession or another. What do you think is the basic, a person like that, uh, what would be their basic uh, position on sin?
1: So in uh, in my own experience with, with people who are, especially with people who are not Christians, but sadly, even with people who are your, your casual Christians, um, uh, sadly, I think that their kind of understanding of sin is perfectly expressed in the country singer Luke Bryan's song, I Believe Most People Are Good. You familiar with this one?
0: Uh, no.
1: <laughs> okay, okay, that's okay, that's okay. Uh, well, you can go look it up on your own time, but but Luke Bryan is a country singer, and uh, and he's got a song, uh, and I think it's called "Most People Are Good," and uh, the refrain is basically "I believe most people are good," and then it talks about all the wonderful things in the world, and uh, and there's a little quote in there about heaven. I believe those streets of gold are worth the work. You can see right there some some works righteousness theology coming out, but but wow. I would say that. That most, I'd say that a lot of people, sadly, uh, especially the casual Christian and definitely the the not Christian will get their uh, religion, their theology from somebody like B- Luke Bryan's song, uh, where they think that, yeah, most, well, most people are good. That's often what you hear at uh, funerals and eulogies. Well, so-and-so was a good guy. So-and-so was a, a great
0: woman, right? Wow yeah that's that's a very perceptive statement that if you want to discover a person's native theology uh you show up uh to the funerals that they go to and what they say about the deceased
1: that's that's right yeah yeah and and you know we we don't want to think ill of anyone and and that's often what comes out is is that uh, well there is nothing ill to say, not that you at a funeral should go around uh you know revealing sins of people or anything like that of course uh but but that's because we have, as Lutherans, such a deep understanding of the gospel and, and Christ's salvation given to us. But, uh, but where that doctrine is weak, there you see also the, that the doctrine on sin is, is really weak also.
0: So, so, so there, there's a connection between these two things. Uh, one's doctrine of sin and also uh, the, the, the one's doctrine of the gospel. That they're in a, uh, how do you say this? A reciprocal relationship, right? Absolutely. So let's say I have a fairly light uh, version of sin in my personal theology, because we all love our own personal theologies and philosophies. Yep. And let's say my personal theology is something like this. You know what? I make mistakes every now and then, but you know what? Deep down, I'm really a good person. And not only that, I know that other people make mistakes sometimes, but deep down, they're good people too. Would that be Luke Bryan's theology? Do you think?
1: I think from from this from this really popular song that he's released, I think that's exactly
0: it. Okay, now this. So there's this is this goes into the reciprocal relationship then. If my uh, understanding of sin is is somewhat light, or uh, that it's more like a mistakes, but you know in the end they don't really count for much.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, then what version of the gospel would be appropriate for that?
1: Well, I think it's really simple actually what leads to that. You may say it, especially casual Christians, but when you have that view of sin, Jesus actually is not your savior then. You're not huh. confessing that Jesus saves you from anything if if sin isn't really that big a deal, right?
0: Or at best yeah, so like at best he's a partial savior in that yeah. sort of situation.
1: I, I would say a lot for a lot of people that have that kind of a mindset. They tend to treat Jesus more like a, a moral guide and example. Oh wow!
0: Yeah. So so Jesus shows. That's right. I, based on my own deep downness. Goodness, I should say deep downness. Huh, that uh, that I'm able to to follow the path that Jesus has shown me. Right? Yeah, absolutely.
1: I so I would say that that's not very much a, a common understanding of sin and good and evil in today's society the casual christian um probably a lot of evangelicals out there who aren't big on sin and 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 uh, uh definitely people who are not christians from people who aren't christians you're going to get a lot of um, uh you're going to get a lot of uh well people are good and sure they make mistakes but but in the end they're just good and that's it now from the casual christian you're going to get more of the the Jesus side of that. And that is, well, Jesus is my savior and he teaches me how to be better. Right.
0: Okay. No, 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 no. You say casual Christian. Let's, let's try to figure this out though. Okay. Are we talking about casual Catholics or casual Protestants or both? Well, that's now that's the
1: tough thing, right? Because this actually does that, you know, we as Lutherans, we think we've well, got Catholics on the one side and you've got uh, Protestants on the other side. And 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 they're very different, right? But in this regard, this is actually one of those areas where they do tend to overlap, and their theologies are actually pretty similar. It's this this emphasis that there's a little bit of good in all of us and uh, and we just have to work at it with Jesus as our guide and and to varying degrees, both of those sides say that Jesus saves you from sins
0: or from from whatever. So Jesus is a savior. But there's also quite a bit of individual good and effort that comes through in the salvation process.
1: Yeah, that's right. And this is where you see kind of that notion of uh, salvation. And even people will say salvation by grace, but then you see that, well, they do add something in there. And it's
0: it's a little bit of works, you could say, right? Yeah. So like for American Protestants, they like to, to somehow talk about uh they, they like to talk about how Jesus is my savior, but now I have to make him my Lord, which is a way of talking about uh, uh, sort of Jesus kicked down the door of salvation. He, he put you in it, but to stay in it, now you have to keep the covenant of works. Yeah, that's and right. And if you don't keep the covenant of works, that means that you would never really accepted Jesus into your heart the first time, right? Yeah. Uh, or I suppose if you're more Armenian that you've backslid. Right? Yeah, now definitely. you were in salvation, but now you're not.
1: And for a lot of for a lot of these people, that that's what leads to re-baptism, right? It's a recommitment to live uh, according to God's will.
0: Mm. Um,
1: and again, not that we should not not, you know, live according to God's will. We certainly ought to. But the difference here is that we would hang our hat of salvation on that.
0: Yeah. Now, let's say I'm a Roman Catholic, though. I mean, yeah. how would they fall into this? Me and Jesus cooperation model uh, uh so they believe that that god uh works through the sacraments he gives grace through the sacraments right right but instead of it being uh, grace alone they were in fact i don't don't the the catholics they're supposed to refuse to say that those two words together grace and alone
1: um yeah, I, I suppose I think you might be right about that. Well, they have more of a view—a view of infused grace, right—that the grace of God strengthens you to be able to to live uh, according to the law of Christ, and all of that together is then your salvation.
0: Oh, okay. So, so the grace comes; it strengthens me to the point where now, infused by grace, like B vitamin B twelve or whatever. Yeah, that's right. I can start pumping the heavy justification weights until I'm finally strong enough to present myself before God.
1: Yeah, that's, yeah, yeah, that's roughly it.
0: Yeah. So there you have the two sides of the coin, the Protestant and the Roman Catholic. There's a confusion of grace and works on both sides. And it has to do with probably, and this is what we were getting at before uh, a a mitigated understanding of sin. Now the the Lutherans, and this is going to, sort of uh we're, we're going to start tipping our hands now uh we might think that sin is a bigger problem than other christians what do you think i would say
1: that we as lutherans largely do uh, i mean it's not for nothing that we as lutherans confess uh, every sunday in the divine service I, uh, a poor miserable sinner
0: right mm. yeah that's right not a, i mean even if you go to other uh uh, like Roman Catholic churches or Protestant churches, this this emphasis on confession and absolution—I don't know—isn't that unique to our Divine Service, as you would find here in our Lutheran Church? Certainly, yes. Yeah, that's right. And and the things that we say both are abject, uh, are, are, are sinfulness, right? Poor, miserable, nothing good, nothing redeemable. And also the pastors, uh, what what people sometimes find a uh, declaration of grace that you are forgiven and he means it for every person in that room that's exactly right ah so how do we get there well we get there first through what the holy scriptures say about sin now i told you this before we started recording i my i had my mind on romans chapter 8 verse 7 and there st paul writes the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to god it does not submit to god's law Indeed, it cannot. Oof, it's, uh, it's spelled out there, isn't it? Yeah, so, so flesh is that which is apart from God's grace, right. apart from the preaching of the gospel and faith. That is what we are before we uh, are saved by God's word, right? Absolutely. And not only is this something that St. That Paul says, this is something that's taught by the entirety of the Holy Scripture. And so uh, when God looks down on man, after Adam and Eve's fall into sin, and, and this is like uh, both in Genesis chapter 6 and Genesis chapter 8, uh, and it, it says that 6 verse 5, God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Mm-hmm. And then again in Genesis chapter 8 verse 21, the imagination of man's heart is evil from his youth.
1: Now, I think that it's it, it's probably important to draw this out too, Brian, right here, is that there's a, re- there's a reason that we call the word of God, God's revelation to us, right? This isn't something that you and I are going to understand, to wrap our minds around, and to agree to and submit to this understanding in our daily lives, right? We, we don't realize how deeply sin affects us that's why it takes the revelation of god to teach us just how deeply sin does affect us
0: now that's that's an interesting point because in the first segment we were talking about the universality of god's law that even without the 10 commandments and the holy scriptures have an awareness of the law but what you're saying is that that isn't enough to prove the real problem with man
1: well right yeah. as 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 roman says uh, the the conscience accuses or even excuses so in certain cases right uh, a society may see that it that murder is is bad and they might punish that but sometimes like in the case of abortion which we also discussed earlier uh, you know a society may they may excuse themselves from that
0: hmm Yeah, Uh, it's almost like this. Like uh, on here on the earth, and with the testimony of conscience, that is apart from God's word, we have this assumption that if I'm justified in the sight of other people, then I'm probably also justified in terms of God. Right. Uh, That we assume assume these two are the same.
1: Yeah. And there's
0: nothing to tell us that it's different. Right. Until God reveals the law and the Ten Commandments, and He says, "By the way, this isn't so." That you can climb up a ladder of good works to present yourself before me as a righteous person. This is to show you your sin.
1: Yeah, that's right. And 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 this is you know this is timely that all of this is uh, that we're bringing all of this up right now Uh, for for you and me as we're recording this. This coming Sunday is Trinity Six, and uh, for you who are listening, maybe that Sunday has already passed here. But our gospel lesson for that Sunday is that passage where where Jesus. Uh, fully opens the law of God and teaches us the depth to which we are sinful, right? Uh, Understanding that even anger with our brother is the breaking of the fifth commandment. And just after that teaching that even the lustful eye is the same as committing adultery, right?
0: Mm, Yeah, that's right. So people, they make this distinction between what I do and what I think yeah and i think it's enough that if i just do the right things then not only am i justified in front of other people i'm probably also justified before god too because who can hold me accountable for every stray thought yeah that's right the ten commandments as jesus reveal as, as as not jesus reveals them but also moses you know as moses reveals them it not only holds our uh actions to account but our thoughts and our words that's exactly right it's uh it, it's the exact reason that,
1: that- Later on in Matthew 15, Jesus can say out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. These are what defile a person. Oh, Jesus, man. Jesus isn't saying here that that out of out of the heart comes the desire for these things or the beginnings of these things or what sets this all in motion so that when you carry it out, that's the only thing that condemns and defiles. He's saying that even the thought like anger or a lustful eye is what defiles a person.
0: Wow. So just to set these two doctrines next to each other, we had the sort of the basic Luke Bryan theology, which I think is something like this, that, Hey, you might be a little rough on the outside, but if you scrape and if you smooth out some of the edges, you're really pretty good. Like a diamond in the rough. Yeah, right? that's exactly deep right. Down, I'm a decent person versus what Jesus says. And he says this, that on the outside, you look pretty good. But when we cut ar- around those edges and look deep down on the inside, we find a cesspool of filth. <laughs> <laughs> Even to the point, where he says, from the heart. It's like a it's like a well, a pump that, you know, There in Hobbs, You have these. Uh, these oil derricks yeah, that's right. And when they start pumping uh, uh, You don't have water that comes out of there But filthy oil I mean it's lucrative right Not, yeah. So the analogy doesn't go all the way no, But still you get it like in the same way as an oil derrick Spills out this filthy stuff Right that's yeah. kind of how it is with the human heart And sin yeah,
1: that's exactly You don't right.
0: have anything good on the inside It's black and it stinks
1: So let me ask you this then Brian Is that our nature
0: Yeah right? Is that what we are as human beings? Are we just sin creatures? Is our substance sin? Now, uh, yeah, we wanted to talk about this really briefly today. And that is, uh, then what do we say about sin? Is sin our whole existence? Are we like some kind of like sin made incarnate? And that's, and that's what we are? Well, uh, it is some Lutherans, believe it or not, after the Reformation, they said, well, you're right. That's what Luther said. That's, we're so uh, enslaved by sin, that sin is what we are, like sin incarnate. And then uh, other Lutherans, with a closer eye on uh, actually what Luther was preaching, and also with an eye on the Holy Scriptures, say, no, uh, that's, that's not who we are essentially. Uh, because even if from the heart of man come all kinds of uh, evil thoughts and desires and words and actions, Nevertheless, as human beings, we continue to be created by God. And if we're created by God, then we have been created and, uh, and called, according to his word, good. His creation is good, mm-hmm. right? That's right. So essentially, as creatures, we are good, not by virtue of our sin, of course, but, but, uh, but by virtue of God's word and blessing. And that's how it always has been from the very beginning, right? That's right.
1: Yeah, God, God did not create us to be evil. Right and God, God did not make us evil. God did not make us sinful. We are still God's creation, but we have corrupted ourselves by sin.
0: Yeah. So, so not yeah. We've corrupted ourselves through actual sin. We also learn in Romans chapter five that that after Adam sinned, he passed down sin. Uh, uh, that's been bound to our nature somehow as a curse from one generation to the next. Right. That's right. Yes. One man's sin came into the world. And so through one man's sin, all have sinned, St. Paul says. And uh, so it's not just that I'm, it's my personal sins that, that hold me uh, guilty before God. It's the sin that I've inherited that I also, uh, that, that that also holds me guilty before God. Now, what is What What do we mean by when we talk about the sin? Is this a, a nature sin in, in terms of uh, uh, that it's still a part of our nature, like sin made flesh? No, uh, I think that we are better to call it a kind of corruption of who we are, right? Yeah. So sin doesn't have an existence of its own. It's not like in the universe, there's the evil principle, mm-hmm. uh, the dark side of the force. Yeah, it's not, we're, not we're not Jedi's, not, right? Right? That's right. We don't belong to the Star Wars universe. Instead, in the Christian universe, the real universe, the one that's been created and blessed by God, sin is an attack on what God says and what he does. It's it's an unraveling of the good gifts of creation. That's what sin is, right? Absolutely. And so to say that we have uh, sin that's passed down from one generation to the next means that we are, yes, we have natures that have been created by God and are good, but they're also broken. They're born with something that's wrong with it. And it's so, and this this wrongness with our natures is so bad that apart from God's grace and his word and his forgiveness, we can't help but be in rebellion against God. That's what the Holy Scriptures say.
1: Yeah, that's, that's exactly right. And, and that is in, in diametric opposition to to our kind of Luke Bryan theology that's, that's all around us.
0: Hmm. Yeah. So the St. Paul says this in, in first Corinthians chapter two, verse 14, the natural person, which is the person apart from God's word of the cross, the natural person does not accept the things of the spirit of God for they are folly to him. And he is not able to understand them because they're spiritually discerned. Now that is an amazing statement. Because it says that the, the person, apart from God's word and the forgiveness of sins, apart from faith, that the person isn't just going to be neutral towards God, right? They're not just going to stand on the sidelines and say, yeah, okay, the Christians and, and what God says in the scriptures, whatever, they can have their scriptures. I don't care. Mm-hmm. So that person is going to find the scriptures offensive. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They're going to see the scriptures as a, a threat against who they are and what they love. Yeah. There's,
1: there's no middle ground there,
0: right? Yeah. Uh, uh, the, and so that's what the law does. It exposes rebellion for what it is, right? Uh, the, my so, self-chosen lifestyle, though it seemed really great before God's law came, uh, now that God's law has exposed my my uh, my lifestyle for what it is, it shows that hey, uh, when I wanted to have a mistress as opposed to being faithful to my life, my wife, that was in fact sin, mm-hmm. and, it, and it judges me, uh, and the law judges me, and says that God holds me accountable even to eternal punishments because of that sin.
1: Yeah, that's exactly right. The, the, the ways of the world are, are against the ways of God. There's no neutral ground there. It's, it's, it's like St. Paul says in Ephesians chapter two, that we were by nature children of wrath, right? Hmm. And when you, when you realize that this is who we were, that we were born into this world in opposition to God, Following blindly our own passions and sins uh, that that this is actually what God has rescued you from in Jesus. Now that's a savior.
0: yeah, okay, so here we see the, the this re- reciprocal relationship played out. So as much as the law has laid bare our guilt before God and that how our corruption, isn't just a brokenness, but also something deserving of God's wrath because we're in perpetual rebellion against God. Now we see that our savior isn't a milquetoast savior, Mm -hmm. right? Uh, He is a complete and total savior. No part of salvation rests outside of what he can do and he can do alone.
1: Yeah, that's exactly, that's exactly right.
0: Yeah. So it's Jesus or nothing. Uh, as St. Paul says, uh, uh, you know, uh, when he talks about the righteousness of faith, that it is the the beginning, the middle and the end of salvation. Mm-hmm. It's not like you graduate from Jesus's help and salvation. And now it's up to you to keep it the rest of the way. No, Jesus is there with us the whole time supplying his perfect righteousness. Right. Which he presents to the father on our behalf as mm-hmm. a perfect sacrifice. So that when God sees us and he judges us as Christians, he judges us not according to our sins, but according to the word of his son and according to the sacrifice of his son.
1: Exactly right. Exactly right. Uh, And and, and again, that, you know, to to go back to this, it does. That goes exactly against, uh, you know, this this kind of Luke Bryan theology that those streets of gold are worth the work. Right. Uh, because that's always when you have a weak, when you have a weak understanding of sin and the nature of sin and how sinful you are, uh, then you na- by nature also have a weak understanding of who your savior is, uh, that, that, that that you need Jesus uh, more than just an example, more than just a guide and more than just a boost up.
0: That's right. So Jesus says this in John chapter 15, verse five, uh, he says, whoever abides in me and I in him, it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Yeah. Nothing. Yeah. So there's no way to heaven. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Uh, whoever believes and is baptized into his holy name will be saved. But apart from what Christ alone can give through his word and promise, uh, uh, there is going to be no salvation. But rather, you're going to have either a presumptuousness according to the law right? A pharisaical kind of pride, or you'll have a kind of despair. Sadly, we see that in a lot of so-called Christian churches. Well, they'll hammer people with the law and uh, they will never offer them a word of comfort, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. preaching a, they'll, they'll give them a mitigated gospel, but they'll put the onus of salvation onto the shoulders of the people who receive the law. Mm-hmm. So those people rightly despair. I despair too. So thanks be to God that here in the Lutheran church we have uh the, the 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 real preaching of the 10 commandments which exposes us as poor miserable sinners but that what that also means is that it highlights the glory of Christ and that not one thing is out of his uh out of his power and authority to save us from that sin so when his word says that i forgive you it is absolutely true right absolutely and, and that's not to say
1: that, you know, as, as Christians, we, we leave no room for works, right? Uh, Lutherans, if anything, often get accused of being, uh, uh, ignoring the law or ignoring works or anything like that. Uh, but, you know, just as we say that Ephesians 2 is kind of the slogan of the Reformation, so that shows us exactly where our place for works are in in our in the order of salvation. So for by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It's the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. And then it continues, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand, that we should walk in them. So it's yeah. all about placing that placing things in the right order. We don't do good works as Christians to level ourselves up to reach those streets of gold, right? Christ is the only one who can, uh, if you want to use that language, uh, bring us to those streets of gold. But uh, we simply do good works in this life for the good of our neighbor, because those are the works that Christ, that God has prepared for us that we should carry out in this world as Christians who are already saved and justified.
0: Yeah, yeah. So the, so there is a place for works, but that place is not before the throne of God. Right. So before the throne of God, the righteousness that God requires is given by Christ alone, and it's received by us by faith alone. Uh, and our good works are not a part of that equation. <laughs> yeah, right, right,
1: exactly. Yeah, yeah, that's a, a separate
0: that's Yeah, that's right. Our works are a different discussion, and that's what we call sanctification. That's so right. go and talk to your pastor. Ask him about how uh, the righteousness of God is different from the righteousness of this world, or even the righteousness of works on the part of Christians in this world. That will make for a really great conversation. Absolutely. And uh, in the meantime, I think Kyle, that we're about out of time for, for this week. Uh, I think
1: we probably are.
0: Yeah. All right. So thanks for joining us uh, for this uh, good conversation about uh, sin and the uh, effects of sin in our life. And also the glory of our savior. You know, whenever our sins are magnified by the law, Uh, so the glory of the gospel shines with even greater glory. Thanks be to God for that. Uh, On behalf of Kyle and myself, we'll talk to you all later. Bye-bye.